Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 24. The writer says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And you can be seated. So we're, we're taking a little bit of a break from 1 Corinthians this morning to um, look at this really amazing passage here in Hebrews. Uh, I was actually asked by Chuck and Ellis to preach uh, a sermon from Hebrews 10 on this passage. So uh, any criticisms uh, can be directed at Chuck and Ellis. Um, all, all criticisms. Um, <laughs> this is this is really a development. So in our, our men's Bible study, we're going through Hebrews. And this is really a development from uh, uh, when we were going through Hebrews chapter 10 a couple of months ago. And, and it's really just a, an encouragement for all of us to think about how we view coming to church every Sunday morning. And so I, I titled the sermon Thinking About Church because... What I, what I want you to, to really walk away with this morning is that when we come to church, when we gather on Sunday morning, we need to be prepared to encourage people, to encourage one another. And we need to be prepared to be encouraged by one another. It's sort of a, a mutual kind of thing. And the chief word in all of this passage is the word consider. That's what we see in verse 24. And let us consider, or the idea is, is think deeply about. And so, so that's really the controlling verb of, of verses 24 and, and 25. We need to think deeply about what we do when we gather together on Sunday mornings. So, so I don't know about you, but, um, a lot of times we roll out of bed on Sunday morning, we get cleaned up, maybe we brush our teeth, maybe we forget to brush our teeth. And we're getting everything together and we go to church and we hope church will be good. We hope the songs are good. We hope the sermon is good. I know I hope the sermon is good. We hope a lot of things are good. We, we hope we're going to be refreshed again in the grace of Jesus through the Lord's Supper. We hope that we all walk away being encouraged and, and built up in the Lord and maybe just a little bit more sanctified than we were earlier that morning. Um, th- those are all good things. Those are good things. We we desire those things. Those those are good. But let me just say those are all passive things. Those are all things that we hope will happen to us, that, that will affect us from the outside, that just by showing up will will be affected by those things. And and there is um there is the grace of God that flows through all of these things. So so that's not necessarily wrong. I I, I just don't think that's all of it. If, if all we're hoping is that, that we are affected by the songs and affected by the Lord's Supper and affected by the preaching, then really, if we're not careful, what we've become is just spectators at church. That's, that's really what we've become. We, we're, we're just hoping that something gets poured into us. And that's really not what the Lord wants. The command here is actually about us, each and every one of us, considering about how we participate in the Sunday morning service. And, and I don't mean like you need to figure out, okay, well, do I need to learn to play the piano so I can lead, you know, music or something? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about consider the totality of why we show up and what we do when we show up. 
Now, most of you guys are probably familiar with this passage. It's often sort of the go-to passage for the, the go-to-church passage, right? That's, that's what most of us know it for, and, and rightly so. Uh, the author of Hebrews says, Do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. And he's talking about meeting together as a local body of believers in the local church. And this is really the clearest command that we have in all of Scripture, that we need to be committed to gathering together in person with a local fellowship of believers. And we could, we could quote a whole bunch of other passages that, that sort of assume this command, but this is the most clear. Like, so, so for instance, you can just jot down Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves, intense devotion to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And this is what they did every Sunday. And quite frankly, this is what they did all throughout the week. They gathered together, devoting themselves to these things. All, almost all of the letters that we have in the New Testament, especially, are written to local churches or to a group of individual churches. So the Galatians is written to all of the churches in a whole region called Galatia. Corinthians to the Corinthian church, Romans to the Roman church. Ephesians to the church at Ephesus. And especially over the last two years, this verse in particular has gotten a lot of attention because, frankly, many people have just given up on gathering together at the local church. They, they just don't, they don't think it's important. They don't prioritize it. Um, they have now made it a habit of not going to church. And if I can just be really honest, I, I don't think the reason is COVID. I think the excuse is COVID. I think they were never really committed to the local church anyway, and COVID has just given them excuse to bow out of church altogether. I mean, most of these people still go to the grocery store. They still go to the doctor. They still go to Walmart. We bump into them all the time. But for some, I think this is actually where they have finally walked away from Jesus. And you go, well, Jason, they're just not going to church. Are you saying they just, how can we equate not going to church and, and walking away from Jesus? And the answer is that the Bible knows nothing of individual Christianity lived outside of the gathering of the people of God. It always gathers together. Even, even when we do missions, like, like we are praying for missionaries that their soul would be encouraged for a short season while the Lord brings people to himself through conversion. And then you know what he creates there? A local church. To gather together. That's all missions is, is it's just creating a church on the other side of the planet so that the people of God can come together and worship God. But here's what we need to understand about this passage. This passage is more than a go to church passage. This is actually a why to go to church passage. What are we doing when we gather together? And I think we need to be reminded about why we go to church. Now, let me, let me get, give you a little bit of a background because we just dropped right in the middle of Hebrews here. Um, the author has just rested his case that Jesus is better than everything in the Old Covenant. He's a better priest. He's from a better priesthood. He offered a better sacrifice and a better sanctuary. He gives us a better covenant. And he did all of that by sacrificing himself on the cross in our place for our sins. That was That's all of chapter 1, verse 1 through 10, verse um, 19, really. And so through all of that, now we have access to God 
through Jesus, not through a high priest, not through the, the mosaic system, but all through Jesus. And as a result of that, the author gives us three commands and there are three let us kind of commands. All of us, all Christians need to consider these things. So take a look at verse 19 and through 22 real quick. This is the first one. So he says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, here's the first command. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So command number one is, look, now that now that we've established that Jesus is all these things, he's so much greater than everything that the Mosaic law could offer, draw near to God. Come to God through Christ. This is salvation. This is, this is how you are saved. And, and we can, we can draw near to God, not timidly, not like, is it, is it safe? Actually, we, we draw near to God with boldness. Go running into his throne and proverbially sit on the lap of your father because that is the power of the blood of Jesus to allow us into the access of the infinitely holy God. Go in. Draw near to God. All of us draw near to God. You've never drawn near to God by faith in Jesus. He's commanding you, draw near to God. Call upon him as father through the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the first command. Second command is in verse 23. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. So, so what he's saying is draw near to God and stay there. Keep drawing near to God through Jesus. Don't go back to the old covenant system. Don't go sacrificing sheep and goats or, or some other way, some legalistic way. No, stay drawing near to God through Christ over and over and over again. Hold fast to your confession. Your confession is the confession that you make that Jesus is your Lord, that he is your only hope in salvation. You hold fast to that. Hang on to Jesus because he's the only way to access the Father. So draw near to God, stay near to God. And then here's the third, which is really what we're going to focus on this morning, is verses 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day drawing near. So again, the, the main action word in this verse is not... Don't neglect meeting. The main action is consider. Think deeply about these things. And the word consider in Greek is really the idea of contemplating carefully, thinking about something deeply. If you're, if you're considering taking a job in a, in a, in a far off state or something like that, you're gonna, you're gonna think deeply about doing that before you do it. If you're thinking about asking a girl to marry you, you're going to think long and hard about, is she really the right one? You're thinking deeply. And he says that same thing, we need to be thinking deeply about when we come to church Sunday mornings. It's not just a passing thought or a last minute consideration. Here it's deep consideration. And so for us, what this looks like is on, on Wednesday or, or Thursday or Friday, 
or Saturday, we're thinking about when we come to church. We're, we're thinking about individual people. Hey, how, how can I how can I come and be an encouragement to this person? You know what? I was I was talking to them last Sunday, and and they mentioned this, and I forgot to pray for them about this. So now I'm going to pray for them, but I'm also going to go and talk with them. And hey, how's that going? And how can I encourage you? You're you're thinking deeply about the next time. You meet together. You know what? I haven't talked to so-and-so for like two weeks. Like, I, I'm just going to make a beeline to them and, and just go get in their get, get in their face. Like, hey, how you doing, brother? How are you doing? How can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? So we think deeply about this. And you say, well, what specifically do we need to do? Well, actually, the author of Hebrews, we don't know who it is. Some people think it's Paul. I don't think that it is. We don't know who it is. But he doesn't leave us in the dark. I think he gives us five specific ways that we can be thinking about how to build up the body of Christ every week. So, so the first, and that's the outline of my sermon, the first is we need to think carefully about stirring up love within the body of Christ. How do we stir up love within the body of Christ? So verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love. So that's the first thing that we've got to be thinking about. How do we stir up one another to love? And I don't mean in sort of this, you know, vague, sort of ethereal way. You know, yeah, we should just all, like, love each other, man. Like, just just love. No, I, I think this is really, like, the rubber meets the road in, in people's life. You know, when you're talking to so-and-so on Sunday morning and you know that they're struggling with patience or kindness, or keeping a record of wrongs. All the things that we saw over in 1 Corinthians 13 a couple of weeks ago. And, and you know they're struggling with that. They confess to you they're struggling with that. We need to be thinking carefully, how do we, how do we fan that flame up a little bit? How, how do we encourage them on to love? You know, maybe when you come to Sunday morning, it's, hey, you know, it's it's been rough at work for a while, and I'm getting easily irritated. Can Can we go grab some coffee and... And talk together? Or, or maybe you notice they are the ones who are struggling. And hey, you know, I, I, I notice you seem a little sharp around the wife and kids lately. Like, you want to go get some lunch and, and talk? And maybe I can encourage you, that sort of thing. Maybe the kids have been crazy. Maybe family's been crazy. Maybe just life is crazy. You know, hey, I, I noticed you let a, a few swear words slip the other day and Hey, look, I just want to encourage you that I struggle with that too. And like, can, can I encourage you, brother? Can I encourage you, sister? How, how, do we, how do we stir up love? Maybe they just need refreshed in the gospel. You know, I mean, there are times where we just go through seasons and we're just beat down over and over and over. And it's not even any one thing. It's just this constant, feels like life and the flesh and the devil are just hammering on us and you know, quite frankly, we're wondering, like, does anybody even care for us? Like, do, is, is, is there anything out there? Well, we can be the means of grace to the people literally sitting right next to us every Sunday morning. These are the conversations we need to be thinking about throughout the week as we prepare for church. Who, who do I know that's struggling to love? And, and, and how can I encourage them on in love, this is this is proactive participation in the body of Christ. It's not haphazard. It's not winging it. It's not just showing up and hoping there's some sort of divine appointment. I know those kind of things happen. This is on purpose, intentional, engaging with the people of God, encouraging them to love more every time we gather. 
So that's number one. We can think carefully about how to love. The second is we need to think carefully about how to stir up good deeds in one another. How can we stir up good deeds in one another? Again, verse 24, and let us consider, think deeply how to stir up one another to love and good works. So we need to think carefully about how to actually get people motivated to do good works. I think, I think most of us know that, that to follow Jesus isn't just to have good intentions in our heart, right? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Actually, the road of following Jesus is to be filled with good works. Our faith is, our salvation is by faith alone in Jesus. I'm not talking about a salvation that is based on works. Salvation is based on faith alone in Christ alone. But you know what God saved us into? Good works. Ephesians 2.10 says that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We should be doing them. So that is the expression of a, sal- of a salvation that has occurred in our heart, is that we are filled with good works. So Ephesians 2.10, why were you saved? Paul says you were saved for good works, that you would walk in them, and that your transformed life would display the glory of the gracious God who saved you. So we read the Bible, and according to 2 Timothy 3.17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good what? Work. That's why we read the Bible. It's to minister and nourish our heart in grace, but also so that we would go and be equipped for every single thing that God has called us to do, that we would work out our salvation, as Philippians 2 says, with fear and trembling. 1 Peter 2 says, keep your conduct, your life, your actions among the pagans honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Isn't that interesting? We're doing good things. The pagans call it bad things until Jesus shows up. And all of a sudden they're like, oh no, they were actually really good things. They see what we're doing, you guys. Are we committed to good works? And we struggle with that. I struggle with that. I'm sure you guys struggle with that. Doing the good things that we know that we should be doing. Well, we need to be thinking about when we come to Sunday morning, how do we stir up good works in other people? And are we allowing ourselves to be stirred up to good works as well? This is kind of an interesting word, stir up. Some of you have spurred on. I like that word, spurred on, because that's really what the, the Greek word is all about. It's, it's the spurs on the back of the boots that you kick into the side of the horse to get them to go. Sometimes, you guys, we need to be kicked in the sides to go. That's the exact word. It's to be an irritant unto good works. Sometimes we have to irritate each other a little bit into good works, to do the thing that we know we need to do. Sometimes it's more than just a friendly encouragement. Sometimes it it really is spurring on. That's the word. It's something that annoys or agitates someone to good works, and we need that sometimes. Look back at 1 Thessalonians 5 for just a moment, just a couple pages to the left. There's a little bit of a caveat to that. So as we're thinking about people in our congregation, we're thinking about individual people, I think we also need to kind of reflect a little bit on what 
what exactly are they struggling with and how are they struggling? Because because it's not a one size fits all. We need to think about how people are struggling a little bit here. And in First Thessalonians 5 verse 14, I, I think we have a nice little blueprint of, of how do we think through a person who is struggling in the faith? Because not everybody is the same. So in verse 14, we, we see sort of three categories of people. So... Verse 14, and we urge you brothers, admonish the idol, or we could say warn the idol, push hard on the idol, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Those are our three categories. And then there's one overarching principle that covers all of those, and he says, be patient with them all. So we don't treat everybody the exact same way. If you want some some categories of somebody who's struggling to love or somebody who's struggling to do good deeds... These are, these are three sort of categories. So we admonish, we strongly warn the idol. These are people who know the right thing to do, and they're just lazy and they're not doing it. They know the good works they should be doing. They know how they should be loving. They're just like, eh, whatever. I know I should do it, but I'm, I'm lazy. I'm tired. Excuse. No, we warn those people. You know what you should be doing, and you're not doing it. So the attitude is warning. But we encourage the faint-hearted. Who are the faint-hearted? These are people who have been trying for a long time. They've been pushing and pushing and pushing, and they're just tired. They're just tired. We don't go at them with warning. No, we, we go at them with encouragement. Brother, I know it's been a hard season. I know it's been rough. Keep going. God will reward you. They need that encouragement. They don't need a beating. They don't need the spurs in their side. They, they, they need like a loving pat, maybe a hug. Like that's what they need. Encourage the faint-hearted. Good job. Keep going. And we need to help the weak. The weak are those who either don't know what they should be doing in the faith. Maybe they're new um, or they don't know gospel truths and how to live in light of these gospel truths. Or, or maybe these are just people who are just utterly broken. They are just done. And they need help. They need someone to come alongside them and to actually walk with them and show them the Betty basics of Christianity. So we don't spur them. We don't kick the boots into them. No, we help them. We teach them. We come alongside them. We show them. So we have to do a good job of knowing where these people are. We have to consider where these people are. When we're thinking about them on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, all right, I'm going to go encourage John. Well, is John idle or is John brokenhearted? Like, where is John? How, how are we going to encourage John? What about Jane? What, what would be helpful for her in being urged on in love and good deeds? But we need to be patient with everyone. But connecting this back to Hebrews 10, that's, this is what we need to consider. How do we do this? And let me just say, we don't avoid hard issues. We don't sidestep some of these things. Maybe we're not a bull in a china shop on the first go round, but, but this takes you guys some serious thinking. I don't, I don't have a panacea for, for how we address every situation. This is godly wisdom in praying and, and thinking through deeply. How do I encourage people that sit beside me every Sunday morning? I mean, imagine that you are slacking and doing some good work. Maybe you're lazy. Maybe you're becoming a recluse and you just don't want to interact with anybody. Maybe you've had just a rough season of life and you're kind of a jerk. 
How would you want someone to approach you? With what words would you want them to say? And maybe flip that around and go, okay, well, how can I graciously approach someone else? I mean, is, is the best approach on Sunday morning while everyone's standing around sipping coffee like, hey, you know what? Maybe you should be more thankful to the Lord and stop complaining. That might be true. Maybe not the best time while we're, you know, standing around. You know, you're sitting there sipping the coffee. Hey, how about them Seahawks? Well, you know, they're having a losing season. Well, speaking of losing seasons, let's talk about your life for a little bit. <laughs> Maybe not so good. Maybe we think a little deeper about how to approach people on these things. But we don't avoid these things. We do want to spur. Sometimes that means we need to dig in and ask questions that maybe are a little bit uncomfortable. But here's the thing, you guys. This is a command. It is a command. At the the end of all of it, it's a command. We, We need to be thinking about these things deeply in order to go do them so it's it's not just oh all right i'm here and i know i'm supposed to love and and spur well you are but you should have been thinking about that's the real command is how to think about that and by the way this goes both ways right when when it's hard to go talk to people especially when they're having difficulty are you hard to talk to when you're having difficulty If someone were to come and muster up the courage in the Lord to rebuke you or to encourage you or to ask you hard questions, would you be open to talking frankly with them? Would you be open to the rebuke or would you be defensive and start throwing it back at them? Where's your heart in all this? I mean, just, just, it's like five pages away, but let me just say, like, you guys, can you imagine if our church, if this was our church, every single person showed up Sunday morning, having thought for the last three days and prayed intensely for the last three days about how we're going to encourage every single other person in the congregation. And then we did it. It would be amazing. It would be wonderful. Like, man, I think I can go to church and I can get rebuked and I like it. And I can go and I can encourage someone else and, and I can see the Lord using genuine gospel-based encouragement in their life to keep them going. The wind is in their sails just a little bit longer, just a little bit longer, just a little bit longer. That's what he's getting at. That, that's what this whole thing is about. It's not just, oh, well, stop, you know, stop neglecting church. Well, yeah, it's there. We'll see that in a minute. But it's so much bigger than that, you guys. But we need to be open to it as much as we're open to going and doing it with others. Number three, we need to think deeply about not neglecting meeting together. And again, this is, this is what we normally think of, verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Again, this is probably what we focus in on. Go to church and for good reason. What's interesting is the command isn't actually go to church, is it? It's, it's don't neglect meeting. The assumption is that you are going to church. The assumption is that you are committed to the body of Christ. The assumption is that you are doing these things, you know, early in the week, thinking about the church and praying for the church. And by that, I mean individual people in the church. And you're showing up to do these things in the church. So, so that's the assumed thing is that you are going to church. The command is don't neglect it. Don't give up on it. 
And he says it in two ways. He says, first, don't neglect it. Or another way of translating it is don't abandon it. Don't give up. I remember having a discussion with my high school pastor about this and why going to church is important. And he just said simply, I know what happens when you take a coal out of a fire. It goes out. That's what happens. It's just, it's just that simple. I've met many, many people over the years who have given up on church for one reason or another. They, they drifted away. They abandoned fellowship. Most of them, I will tell you, still claim to be believers. I, I have to be honest with you. I'm not sure that most of them are. They know the gospel. They know information. They know morality. But, but to have no desire at all to gather together with the bride of Christ? Do you, do you even know Christ? If you have no desire to know his bride and to worship Christ with his bride as we're commanded? See, Christianity is a team sport. We are saved into the church one by one. And yes, the, the universal church is, is, is every believer of every age all around the world. And if you have faith in Jesus alone for your salvation, you are part of the universal church. But that is worked out in a local fellowship, in a local body of believers that everyone is committed to. And if you've read the Bible for longer than like two seconds, you know that every church in church history is jacked up some way or another in like really big ways. The Galatians are going back to the law. They're saying it's Jesus, it's faith in Jesus plus circumcision. I mean, we're, we're almost to the end of the train wreck that is 1 Corinthians, right? Where they're wearing their favorite, you know, apostle t-shirts and they're, you know, applauding a guy who's sleeping with his stepmom. And we're going to get into chapter 15 where you got some people who are denying the resurrection like it's no big deal. Like that's the gospel. Every church is a train wreck. Maybe not Thessalonians. Thessalonians, they're doing all right. He just encourages them to keep going. Every other one's messed up. There, there is no perfect church except in heaven. That's, that's where the sanctified believers are. Every, all, all of us, including Redeemer Bible Church, we got problems. Maybe we know about them, maybe we don't. But every church has issues. And there's no perfect church. And, and I have to tell you that the people who have abandoned the gathering together, e- even if they are saved, they usually end up having very weird theology. It's, it's really unusual. I've met some guys who are like, you know, I, I just can't find a good church in this area. I'm like, you mean like Spokane? Like there's not one. Well, nope. Not that le- meets my list of demands. I'm like, your list is higher than like Jesus and the Apostle Paul. Because they would go and they would think deeply about how to stir up love and good deeds in all of those churches. That's what they would do. Because that's the duty of a Christian is to go and stir this up. And in, in those people that have abandoned church, I have never met one, not one, who has a truly vibrant spiritual life and is truly mature in Christ. I've never met them. Because there is a sanctifying effect of gathering together with the body of Christ. 
part of going to church is that we're confronted with our error and we're confronted with our sin, but we're also confronted with the grace and mercy that Jesus has shown us to be sanctified. So he says, don't abandon meeting together. And he also says, as is the habit of some. Most of the people that that have given up on church, they, they rarely just wake up one morning and go, you know what? I'm done with church. I'm done. Like, like they rarely do that. It's usually this really long, slippery slope. You know, it's, it's soccer season and the games are on Sunday and it's just a season in the spring. And so they give up for a while. And it's like, well, it's summer and it's, you know, it's Deer Park. Like we got like two weeks of summer. So we got to spend them all at the lake, you know. And then, well, soccer season's back. You know, sorry if you play soccer, I'm picking on you. Right, and we just we we just we create these habits, and we start justifying these things. And I I just want you guys to know I've done this too, you guys. So like so like 14 years ago, we were we were living in Kentucky, and we moved to the Bay Area, and we were staying with my brother-in-law and his wife, and we were living with them, and and we thought you know like like the only time we get to see them is on the weekends, and this is going to be a very rare season in our life where. We just get to hang out with them. Like, this is, this is really cool. And so we thought, you know what? Like, we're only going to live here for like maybe a month, something like that. And so we're just going to hang out with them on Saturdays and Sundays. We're going to go do family stuff together. Family stuff is good, right? That's good. You know, they're unbelievers. They need the gospel. Like, we can be that gospel witness to them. And so we didn't go to church. And one month became two. And two became three. And three became four. And all of a sudden I'm going, I think I've made a habit. And I think I went to my shame to church once in four months. And we were dry, you guys. We were dry. That was 14 years ago. Fast forward 10 years later, and uh, we went to go down to visit them in the Bay Area. And so we were down there during Thanksgiving and over the Thanksgiving weekend. And so I wanted to go to church. I wanted to go find a, a solid church down there. Um, and so, so we're, so I'm, so I'm on, I'm on my phone trying to find like a, a good, like doctrinally sound gospel preaching church. And, uh, and so my sister-in-law, she goes, well, I mean, you're not preaching. Like, do you really need to go to church? And I'm like, well, I'd like to. And she goes, well, I mean, it's family. Like you didn't go to church for four months. Like what's one, what's one weekend? And you guys. I had to apologize to my unbelieving sister-in-law for forsaking gathering together at the church. I mean, she didn't care. She's an unbeliever. But she's like, well, but you were, un- you were inconsistent. I'm like, yes, I was. And that was sin. And that was wrong of me. This, this can happen to all of us. We, we, we put in some habit, something that, that isn't maybe necessarily sinful, but we put in one thing that's good and then it turns into two and three and all of a sudden we've created a habit. But know that everybody sees our commitment. We can make all the excuses that we want. Our kids see where our priorities are. Our neighbors see where our priorities are. Our family does. The Lord does. We're, we're not fooling anybody. I have to tell you, I've talked to a lot of older parents that made a habit of neglecting meeting together every week for every sporting event, every vacation, every whim that they could think of. They're older, now their kids are out of the house, and their kids have no love for Jesus and no desire to go to church at all. And they're like, why is that? And I'm like, well, because maybe they didn't see it in you either. You modeled that for them. 
you neglect it. And if you neglect something, it's just not important. And I'm not saying go to church saves you. I know you guys know that. I feel like i got to say that, though. But they see. The world sees. Other people see. And I think one thing most of us have realized over the past two years is that gathering is essential. Zoom is not church. Sermons online is not church. Listening to your favorite band in the CD player is not church. This is just not church. It's gathering together on purpose. We were saved into the body of Christ. Number four, we need to think about how to encourage one another deeply. Verse five, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And, and I, I already riffed on this back in First Thessalonians 5, so I won't take long on here. Again, this is super practical. I don't think I have ever heard anyone say, you know what I've got too much of in my life? I got too much encouragement. I got all these people, all they do is try and encourage me. I could use a little bit more like demeaning in my life. I could use a little bit more tearing down in my life. Never heard anybody say that. Not not one person. I was down at the conference this weekend and uh it's the craziest thing. I bumped into a friend of a friend. We just prayed for Ryan Damarell at Community Bible Church. There, there's a guy that went to his church. His name's Ninos. He ended up moving to San San Diego. And so I bump into Ninos in amongst 3,500 people. Like, we barely know each other. I bump into him. And Ninos has a friend there, and his friend's name is Fadi. And Fadi is there, and I, I, I don't know him from anybody. And Fadi just starts talking. And this guy is, like, walking encouragement. Like, I was so encouraged after two minutes of talking to this guy. I was just like, all right, I'm ready to go home. Like, I'm good. Can I take you with me and just like have you follow me? Like, like the guy was so, so encouraging. I mean, can you imagine if, if we all, again, all come and thinking about every Sunday or every Thursday, Friday, Saturday about how are we going to be an encouragement? And if we were all like encouragement to 10 every Sunday. How much of a blessing that would be in our lives. We could be open and we could be honest with each other, knowing that what we would get in return is a massive dose of encouragement to keep going. And that's exactly what he says we're called to think deeply about. Encourage one another. Think deeply about how to encourage. This is so crucial for the body of Christ. How can we encourage one another? Number five, we need to think about our lives in light of seeing Jesus. We need to think about our lives in light of seeing Jesus. Verse 25, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day drawing near. That's the, that's the day of Jesus when, when Jesus returns. Listen, we, we, we can argue about the particulars of eschatology all we want, but eschatology is one of the most motivating factors for continuing on in the Christian life. I don't care what your system is. I don't care your pre-trib, mid-trib, whatever you, whatever you are. The reality is that you are either going to see Jesus or Jesus is coming to see us. And that is a motivation in the Christian life. It is appointed for a man to die once and then come judgment. You've got one shot on planet Earth to walk in faithfulness to Jesus. You've got just the one. And as has been said, what you do here in this life will echo for eternity. 
And some people say, well, you know what? I'm just going to be glad to get in the gates. That's fine, but nowhere are we called to be satisfied with just getting in the gates. We're never called to that. Nowhere are we called to be happy with back row seating in the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 9, run the race to win the prize. Run it to win it, is what he says. Don't walk it, don't lollygag. And he says, because we're not running to get some flowers. We're we're not running to get some sort of wreath that's just going to perish after a week. We're running for a wreath that will never, ever perish. Eternity is on the line, and the rewards that Jesus will give us are on the line. And so Hebrews 12.1 says, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race of faith. If it's pulling you away from Jesus, if it's drawing your attention away from Christ, get rid of it. If it's a sin, obviously get rid of it. But if it's a weight, you see what those marathon runners are, are wearing? It's like shoes and short shorts and a, and a tank top. Like that's it. They're not walking around with all their garbage on top. They get rid of every weight, everything that would slow them down. If there's anything in your life that is slowing you down, get rid of it. Some of you guys like running. I can't stand running. I don't like cotton mouth. I don't like the bouncing. I don't like trying to take a drink of water. It's all over your your face. But we're called to run. And one of the ways that we motivate each other is to run looking toward the prize, looking toward Jesus. That's the day that's drawing near. Again, just so encouraged by the conference I went to. I, I went to a, a seminar by Paul Washer. Some of you guys know Paul Washer, kind of a, a fiery preacher. Uh, Paul Washer is very weak. If you, if you know Paul Washer, pray for Paul Washer. I think he had a heart attack a couple of years ago. Like he walked into the room, he had to lean up against a wall because he was about to collapse. Like then he had to sit down for a couple of minutes. Like this is like 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 modern day John the Baptist, right? I mean he's he's fiery man of God. He could he could barely barely go. And one of the most encouraging things that that he said was again eschatological in nature. He said that if you are a child of God, do you know that God your Father wants to see you more than you will ever want to see him. He wants to lavish grace and mercy and glory on you for all eternity. We need to be reminded of that. That's how we encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. Whatever longing and desire you have to see the glory of Jesus, Jesus has so much more desire to see you. Not to spank you, but to pour out grace and mercy for all eternity. If you're in Christ, God isn't mad at you. He's not hateful toward you. Even if he disciplines you, he does it out of what? It's out of love. As a son in whom he delights. God wants you home forever. And in the meantime, he calls us to think deeply about encouraging each other in light of this day that's drawing near. You guys, let's think deeply about how we gather together and how we encourage the body of Christ right here at Redeemer. Let's pray. Father, may we never take gathering together lightly. May we understand the privilege that you've called us into.
and the ministry that you've given to us to encourage one another on to home to glory. May we do that in faithfulness and grace. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.